1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Recording. Okay. It says that it is. All right. Welcome the, back. The Zoom keeps... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back everybody to another episode of the, of the southern ground oh my god my goodness <laughs> you go ahead and cut that i'm gonna leave it in there because he's gonna find it funny welcome to another episode of the southern collective hunting podcast uh we are coming back again with another episode that i feel like is not only time like season specific but it's also remarkably relevant uh to kind of the conversation we've been having uh today's topic is going to be ground hunting and Brett Mashburn and myself, Brett Mashburn and I, my grandma be killing me right now, are uh, flying solo tonight. But we've got a guest that uh, I don't feel like gets enough credit for what he does. We've got a legend amongst us. The You may know him by the name Catman. I know him as the guy that if there's ever a zombie apocalypse, I'm going to his house because I guarantee you he's got food stashed somewhere and the ability to get more of it. Dude, welcome to another episode. Thanks for carving time out of your busy schedule and talking to us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So you guys won't know this because you're not privy to what happens after after an episode happens. Once we hit end to the episode, first time I had Catman on, we talked for about an hour and a half on the podcast, and then we stayed up until almost midnight. I don't know if you remember this, and we were talking on the phone about different trees and pictures of different trees, and we we're texting them back and forth. And I was like, "Dude, I got to go to sleep." And you're like, "Oh man, yeah, you probably do, don't you?" And so. Uh, you are a woodsman. You're the guy that, that models woodsmanship for a lot of other people. Uh, and I've learned a lot from your YouTube channel. So I'm just going to start off by saying, thanks, man. And I'm glad you're still making content. Oh, I appreciate it. 
I'm just doing what I love. I'm glad uh, some people can get something out of it. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. In fact, your oak video, your how to identify different oaks, I have probably with Brett's not nodding his head right now. I bet you I've watched that three times and you inspired me to go and buy this book. Oh, it's phased out. You can't see it because it doesn't have a face next to it. There it is. Native Trees of the Southeast. And whenever I go scouting now uh, in places that I'm not familiar, I will take this book with me and, and a little Catman video whenever I have cell service and I'm off to the races. That's cool. I think I've heard of that book before. Oh, it's so good. It really is good. You can get it on eBay for like 15 bucks. Like yeah. this is brand new for 15 bucks, but uh, dude, man, let, before we get into the topic, let's talk a little bit about what you got planned. What's your, what's your fall look like? Uh, a lot of, a lot of killing, uh, mainly does. I've got a couple of nice bucks I've located that we'll see if I can keep up with them. But I've done a lot of, a lot of driving around, walking around, scouting, hung a few cameras mostly going to stay in Tennessee. Uh, I've already been to Kentucky once and the license is kind of expensive. So I'll try to go back if I get time and then probably, uh, Alabama or Mississippi later on in January. Dead gum, man. But you know, y'all get such a liberal limit there in Tennessee. I was sitting here thinking, right. man, he's cutting himself short. Yeah, we in need Tennessee. it. We need it in some places. I, I was riding around yesterday. Um, in the vicinity of public, just, you know, kind of laying eyes on deer that I might find on public later into the rut. And uh, you can go down certain roads and the browse line in the woods is insane. You There's not a leaf on the bushes below about four feet. And it's like a solid wall where it's green above and gray below. And you can see like 50 yards through the woods. No deer kid. and everything. Yeah. That's not everywhere. That's just certain certain areas. Are those like urban areas or you can say no if you don't have to answer that. Oh, the- a lot of it. Well, suburbs, it's it's right. not like downtown in any city or anything, but it's like residential areas. There's farmland mixed in too. Um, you don't see a lot of row crops in that situation because I don't think they could get them to grow. <laughs> but there's a lot of like uh, hay fields, cow pastures and, and stuff like that. And then sub- subdivisions, mixed use. Deer like that kind of stuff. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about, uh-oh, can y'all still hear me? Yep. Okay. My thing, I just bumped my thing, my uh, USB and it flickered for a second. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about a shift you made uh, maybe last year or the year before and, and to ask you kind of the origin. The Catman I grew up with, and that sounds silly to say, but the Catman I, like, I followed, uh, when it walked out, it died. If it was legal, it died. Uh, and... You started targeting some big deer on public land. What caused that shift? I'm curious. Just killing a few decent deer and wanting to kill a bigger one. And and I still, if it walks out, it dies. It's just not, not a little buck so much anymore. Um, I mean, I have killed two little scrub bucks already this year, but it was on that depredation hunt up in Indiana. Um, yep. So that was kind of like kill anything that's eating the crops. But uh, no, sure. as far as, as far as burning my tag, we get two bucks um, in Tennessee and I'll be pretty picky with the first one and then I'll just, I'll eat the last tag if I don't get a, you know, I don't want to have to pass up a giant, uh, at, towards the end of season because I burned both tags on a half decent buck. So, um, last year I had, I only had one really nice one on camera and, um, ended up killing him second day of rifle season 
But uh, because it was just because I, I knew that one deer was in the area and I didn't know if there was other, any other big ones, I got real picky. I was like, I've already killed 10 does. I'm just going to. I'm just going to wait on a good buck. I was seeing a lot of rut activity. And so I was just sitting it out, passing on deer. But like, I've got like behind me, not the big one, that's a deadhead, but that little one back there, that 10 point, as a two year old buck I killed three, three or four years ago. And uh, shot it with my bow about 20 yards. And I mean, that's, that's to talk about, that's potential there. I don't care. Like, if any, I wouldn't blame anybody else for shooting him, but I wouldn't shoot him again. Like he's already on my wall now. Something bigger. I could see that. Get that. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I haven't made it through that bow list yet, but I think I'm creeping up on it. Um, I'm curious. How do you balance? Uh, how do you balance targeting big deer in Tennessee, where the, kind of the pressure is really notorious? And we're not going to go too much further down this. If you guys are are listening, and you're thinking, well, they said ground hunting. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But I'm just curious. I want to flush it out. Tennessee's got a lot of pressure on deer for deer. How do you go yeah, about especially middle it? Tennessee? Yeah. Yeah, because we got we got Nashville right in the middle. It's very highly populated and got a lot of deer and a lot of turkey. And it's pretty well known for that. So yeah, there's a lot of pressure. I I think I hunted nine counties in Tennessee last year and I bounced around even on one specific WMA. I've got two dozen spots I know of that I've scouted and I might have a camera in a couple of them or I've hunted them for years. So I'm just bouncing around them, like all the time. Um, and, and if somebody moves into a spot, I'll back out and maybe check it later on down. That's actually what happened with, uh, the buck I killed last year. He was occasionally on, on trail camera and, um, you know, no pattern or anything. You just pass them through once in a while, usually at night. And, um, towards the end of bow season, I started having people show up. Like I got there and, uh, I got there one morning and, and somebody was already in there, um, which they came in a different way. I didn't see it parked, but uh, they only hunted for like an hour or two and and then they left and then came in there another day and somebody else was in there and then somebody threw up a pop-up blind and a mock scrape and a trail camera right in the middle of the red oaks where the deer all came through. And um, I was like, all right, I know there's deer's in this area, but I need to stay out there because they're hunting it too much. And so I gave it like a week or two break and came back in second day of rifle season, cold Sunday morning beautiful weather and uh he showed up right behind a doe so i mean i saw a bunch of deer that morning but but he showed up right behind a doe and had this spot to myself so i'm i'm back and forth you know with with the pressure and whatever the deer are doing the food sources all that and i'll just kind of plays into where i'm gonna hunt next right on man all right so let's dive into this ground hunting is something that the pendulum swings in, in life. And whenever it swings, it needs to come back down and, and it kind of tries to rest at center. It used to be everybody ground hunted back in the day. And then we started to see tree stands and the emergence of tree stands. And uh, Brett documented last year a hunt in an area that's overlooked that you can't hang from a tree stand. And it kind of kicked this ball down the hill. We didn't even realize it was rolling. Um, and strategies surrounding ground hunting have become a focal point of discussion inside our little SoCo group. And so my question, I guess, can I kind of leave this open ending is open ended and you can answer this how you want to, but how do you end up using ground game? How does that factor into your decision-making? Is it something that's situational specific as in habitat, or is it just something that you just apply whenever you don't want to climb a tree? What's, how would you describe it? 
A uh, little of both. Sometimes, like especially during gun season, if I got a if I got a firearm in my hands, I'm way less likely to climb a tree because not only is it easier to pull off a shot, but I like to be able to move around and I will stalk a deer with a rifle. So it's a lot easier to stalk to, you know, 50, 100 yards instead of stalking to 20. So um, there's that. And then uh, it, and it's situational. Where am I hunting? Are there any trees that are going to give me a clear shot? Or uh, can I see a little better from the ground? Or I'm not sure if I want to sit here and I don't want to have to pack all my stuff up and climb down. So I'll just sit on the ground so I can move if I need to. A lot of my scout hunts, like where I'm kind of scouting, kind of hunting, uh, I'll stay on the ground for stuff like that because I don't really know where I'm going to end up by the end of the day. So it just depends. On the scale of like, if you had to pick between hunting from a tree and hunting from the ground, what's your default? Like, what, it, what which is the one that you find yourself gravitating towards? Um, during bow season, a tree. And during gun season from the ground, but it really, I mean, it really depends. Definitely, definitely do a lot more ground hunting than climbing, uh, once rifle opens and then, and then during both season, I prefer to be elevated, but then again, it just depends on the situation. I had a question for you <clears throat> listening to that. Do you, have you ever hunted from the ground with your bow and taken deer? Or had any close encounters? Well, with with the bow? Yeah. From the ground. Uh yeah, last weekend. I've killed a nice. few. I don't I don't do a lot of like uh I I had a nice buck a few years ago at full draw, twenty five yards on the ground. I was still hunting in the rain and uh he had a free block in his vitals and busted me. But um uh it's mainly does. I, I don't think I've killed a good buck from the ground with my bow yet it's just um, i don't do it as much um but yeah just last weekend in kentucky there was i was sitting in a little strip of trees in the middle of a big grass field just watching watching deer all evening and i had one come almost close enough to shoot and then she started feeding away from me and so i just crawled out there kicked my crocs off and wore socks to make less noise and and she was whatever was growing under that grass she really liked she never picked her head up I was like, she's going to bust me. I'm not getting a shot. And I just kept creeping closer. And I got to about 25 yards and drew my bow back. And she still didn't pick her head up. And I shot her <laughs> just standing in the middle of a field. I was like, wow, I didn't think uh, that deer was going to let me get that close. She didn't have a clue. Really? Yeah. I, it feels like hunting from the ground would be something that wouldn't be a bow season tactic just because of at least in my neck of the woods, and this might be entirely different on where you hunt, but typically speaking, it feels like for me, most of my, Hey, quit. Sorry. My puppy's acting out tonight. Um, most of the places that I hunt in early season, the winds suck like really, really oh, yeah. badly. Uh, it, does that factor into that as well? Or is it just simply like you put your back yeah, in water it, and it does. Um, yeah, I like windy days better. It's more predictable. But uh, that reminds me, a few years ago, I had a 13-point, I think it was a 13-point, and he looked like a young deer, like maybe three and a half, but probably pushing 130 inches. I never saw him again. I think somebody killed him that season. He was on some real popular ag field public land. But anyways, second day of bow season, I'm sitting on the ground uh, on the bank of this creek. I think I was actually down on a gravel bar, like down by the water level below the bank. 
and uh, sitting in like a RuPaul or something, if I remember right. And he came out 60 yards up the creek and the wind was supposed to be blowing downstream, but it was that like hot, humid, dead wind where it's just kind of doing whatever, pooling, swirling. And uh, he picked his head up and sniffed a couple times and turned around and disappeared and never saw him again. So yeah, the wind, the wind sucks sometimes. I mean, that's, and I have that up in a tree too. I hunted that same Creek one evening from a tree. I got way up in a sycamore tree and, um, it was the same humid, dead calm. My scent dropped straight down into the Creek and this little yearling buck comes down the bank a ways down and starts walking up the gravel bar. And it's like he hit a wall. He just froze up and then kind of got skittish and turned around and ran back up the bank. So, I mean, the wind is going to suck sometimes regardless, but yeah. I definitely, uh, it's definitely more important, uh, on the ground. Cause you, you don't have a chance of a, you know, in a tree blowing your scent over the deer's head when they come in close. If they, if they're downwind and you're on the ground, they're going to smell you. It's not blowing over them. Yep. Does that impact where you, where you ground hunt as well? How, how do you, how do you end up playing thermals from the ground? Because one of the issues I face, and this kind of cost me a deer last year, I guess you could look at it is uh, I hunted from the ground uh, in an area that there wasn't a really good suitable tree, just because the canopy was, was one of those where if you got in a tree, you'd see like basically where you climbed. But if you were down yeah. low, you could see a good, you know, 30, 40 yards. And it was this really beautiful pinch point, And I'm on the side of this hill. The wind, the wind's just pulling into me, pulling into me, pulling into me right at like 945. The sun finally creeps over the top. You start to feel those thermals start to shift up, up that, up that ridge where those deer were going to be. And I used conventional wisdom and left. And as I'm boating away, uh, I get a photo of a doe running right past where I was and a buck running right past where I was. They would have been, they would have been upwind of me. How do you, how do you end up like leveraging that in what you do? Um, uh, a lot of times I just wing it or go with gut feeling. And sometimes I get totally busted. Sometimes it works out perfect. Um, I mean, I, as far as thermals go, like, here's a good example of, of how I approached uh, hunting in my backyard. A couple seasons ago, I had some nice bucks that were hanging around, uh, every day. They would come out in a different spot in the field every evening, but they were out there every day and the velvet hunt comes around. And so I got a tree stand in a walnut tree in the backfield. Actually, on hindsight, I probably could have killed from it, but I played cat and mouse and the deer were always coming out somewhere else. I never killed them that weekend, but I was going out late because uh, if you got a south wind, it's blowing up into the woods where they come from. But if it's not a windy day, you wait till the sun falls behind this ridge. There's a big ridge to the west. Let the sun fall behind that ridge. The thermal start to drop right then. And so you just wait for the wind to die. Pretty much as soon as the wind dies in the evening, it's going to start flowing downhill out of the woods and you can go out there and hunt. So I was going out late, like close to sunset and uh, trying to put the sneak on these deer. But if I went out any earlier, um, it would have been blowing up into their bedding. And even if the wind was good, say a north wind coming from the woods, then it's coming over a ridge and over a cedar thicket. And I don't know if you hunt around cedar thickets much, but the wind swirls really bad. And so a north, a good wind is not a good wind. So it, I was solely hunting on thermals and hunting on the ground in the tall grass, trying to, you know, get myself close to them. And uh, it, it was like cat and mouse game, but, but that's like, that's one way I would approach the thermal thing is go out. Like when the timing's right, when the thermals are actually doing what they're supposed to do. 
less less hunting but a higher odd situation because the winds are th- are predictable yeah i'm not going to go out there at 3 30 in the afternoon with the wind blowing all over the place when i could go out there at 6 30 and and um have that cool breeze coming down off the ridge in my face and and maybe the deer already on their feet but it just that that that's another factor too if you can't if if the deer already up and you can't sneak in then you're gonna have to make something else work like on a windy day or something sure but uh in the case with my backyard there's enough uh fence rows and tree cover to move around pretty good so it's okay for a ground sneak actually makes me think about a couple areas brett actually the ability to creep through some of those areas once those thermals change you know a lot of the areas that i want to hunt with good thermals uh i have to hunt on warmer days because they're they set up terribly for a north wind Um, yeah but like what you were saying especially you could sit on i think i could sit on the water and watch some of those areas and then push my way in once the thermals start to kind of shift a little bit yeah you're coming in by water a lot yeah yeah, that's something I've really started to leverage. Um, we, we've had several guests on who have talked about in the deep south that water can be one of those things that really you you can have, you know, swirling winds still that persist. But, you know, maybe a third less the time they swirl or they settle sucking back to that water feature, whether it's a, a spring fed creek or it's a um, <clears throat> an oxbow. On a, on a river bank that, you know, warms up a little hotter or colder than all. And a lot of those oxbows tend to have like a little feeder creek. So that water's a little cooler and it kind of sucks down to that bottom more. Um, especially down here in Florida, we have a, uh, if it's not blistering winds from a cold front, it starts swirling almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. That's frustrating when it's like that. And it's like that a lot. I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, Brett, am I wrong? What about in Alabama? Is it kind of the same thing? If you don't have that strong northeast, northwest, I don't like much out of the northwest. It starts. I feel like it starts swirling whenever it comes northwest. We had a, I was scouting yesterday. We had a pretty strong, uh, what was it? Probably about a north. Yeah, I'd say it was about a north, maybe northeast wind yesterday. I didn't look at the forecast. I'm just going off memory. Um, but it was a, yeah, it was a steady, like, like coming coming across the water, blowing into the woods, kind of thing. Uh, the thicker your vegetation, like it, like I, like I was saying, the cedar thickets, but any kind of thick woods. Uh, if you're on, if you're say on a field edge on the downwind side of the woods, it's going to swirl because it's coming through those trees and over top of those trees, and then it's there's a dead space where it swirls. And I've noticed with cedars, it will swirl and kick back into the woods if you sit on the downwind side, like on a field edge. Uh, so like on the map, it looks like a good wind, but you get there and it's going straight back into the thicket where the deer are bedding. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages. Things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At MidwayUSA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. 
With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yeah, so I can that's see that. a, And that, I mean, I don't think that ground versus tree, like, I don't, like, tree stand or saddle, I don't, think that makes too much of a difference because um, it's gonna it's still gonna mess you up more more likely than not in that situation i've got a couple coves that do that too where the cove will will the wind will come around the cove and and you'll have a thicker thicker a thicker vegetation kind of on the edge and it almost feels like it catches that and just kind of whips whips up into that cove and you end up with a swirl yeah. that you can't really predictively work with so when hunting from the ground, you do, you're moving a lot because you're getting stuff on camera. There's, do you implement a ghillie suit? Do you implement natural coverage? What's your what's your thought there? Natural cover and shade. I don't think people talk about shade enough. Um, if if it's available, if you're you know, it depends on where you're at. A field edge is the best place to take advantage of shade or hunting a like a, even a clearing or a food plot anywhere the deer is going to be in brighter light. If you got a thick bush of like briars or something and there's a little hole underneath it where you can kind of sit back in there and stay in the shadows like think if you're in the shade looking out into the into the sun you can see clear as day but if you're out in the sun looking into the shade it looks kind of like a black hole so it's a lot easier to blend in when you're in the shade and have a backdrop is the other thing because if you sometimes you don't have that shade available uh so always have something to behind you and preferably to your sides to blend into. Um, I don't want too much in the front of me, especially with a bow, because I need to have room to shoot, you know, without the arrow or the limbs catching anything. But um, I also don't like to sit in a chair because I feel like it puts me up higher and more visible. Like if I'm going to go any higher than sitting on the ground, then I'm just going to climb a tree because I'd rather that than stick out like a sore thumb. But um, I mean, like a seat cushion's fine, but try to stay low bigger the bigger tree the better break up the silhouette a, trunk, a tree with multiple trunks is great um a tree that's got like briars growing all around the base is perfect um and you got you gotta think what's behind you what's around you that you're blending into to break up your silhouette and then if you do have shade available use it so are you just sitting like indian style on the ground or? usually yeah I'll stretch my legs every now and again. Okay, because like I use a chair, but the height of this chair is only like thirteen inches, so it's real yeah. low, and and the legs sink in the ground usually an inch or two, and it's almost like a beach chair how you're real low, but it's just enough where you can shoot, you know, without your knees yeah. being up in the way, and you're still low profile. So it's kind of what I've been going with because I. I'm not necessarily moving because I'm doing a lot of bow hunting from the ground. 
you know, if I had a gun, yeah, I'd probably do a whole lot more moving. Yeah. Um, I guess I should say, I shouldn't say a chair is bad. I just don't use it because I prefer to, to sit lower. Um, they got those uh, turkey hunting chairs that sit super low too. I've heard of people using them. As um, long as you got good cover and you're still, and being still is another big thing. That's the best really camo. It, yeah. I, and I've got to move a little bit, you know, manning the camera, but it's kind of one of those things where you got to have your eyes on the deer and say it puts its head down to eat or it looks the other way. And then I can mess with the camera and whatnot and get my bow ready. But, um, yeah, I like to sit low down personally. Um, but yeah, just it, it depends on where you're at. You know, I've had places that just don't set up good to bow hunt from the ground. Cause there's like no cover, yeah. but I've also, I've also stumbled into, uh, you know, random situations where I, a deer just walks up on me and I'm just standing in the middle of nothing and shoot it. But, I mean, that's not a tactic. That's just how it happens sometimes. Like, I said I was wearing a gray t-shirt a couple years ago and jumped some does off the bed and decided to sit down at this dead tree stump, just the like bottom four or five feet of a stump. And I'm in a t-shirt and I'm, I sit down just to see if they come back. Cause sometimes I'll do that. And sure enough, they got nosy and came back and, uh, I shot one just sitting like that. Just, and, and that's, like I said, that's not a tactic. I, always use like i don't expect to just sit out in the open and kill one i try to have as much cover as possible yeah i think we uh you know as a collective find ourselves trying to hunt deer where deer are here in the, in the deep south where it's just really thick and something we've really been noticing is how deer sticking to cover where you can't hang a tree the only way you yeah. can hunt it is from the ground so that's where all this is you know started and it's like man i want to hunt there man i want to hunt there and it's like okay i'm gonna do it now you just just go out there and do yeah. it and it's kind of stemmed from there and it was you know it took me about two years but i ended up shooting a really nice buck from the ground with my bow you know in, in one of those type of places and uh nice. super exciting when you do that but <laughs> the amount of deer that i've seen going in those type of places is just it's just tremendous. It's just oh, a yeah. whole lot more deer than hanging it, you know, hanging in other spots where everybody else are hanging. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. I've always, that's one thing I learned early on was, was that was to stick around thick cover. That's, I mean, that's where the deer feel safest. They got brows, they got cover, they mm -hmm. got shade. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, there, I guess there was a time where I'd like write a spot off cause I couldn't hunt it out of a tree, but, um, I mean, I've done, I guess I've, I've sat on the ground on and off since I started. I killed my first deer from the ground, um, with a 30, 30 set up against the base of a big sugar maple. And he came in behind me at five yards. He was on the trail of a doe. He did not care. He looked at me, put his nose back on the ground, came around my left side at eight yards at hard shot him. So I guess I did, I guess I've been ground hunting since I started, but, um, I guess there was a time when I would look at a spot and be like, I can't get up any trees in there. Um, yeah, I wouldn't bow hunt it as much. I would, I would gun hunt it. Right. Yeah. I just, I'm the crazy person in the group that just likes to bow hunt year round when everybody has a <laughs> <Yeah. rifle. laughs> right. That's Once just, that's just season, my thing. Yeah. I understand that. I got, um, 
I mean, I'll pick up a bow during gun season once in a while. There's a couple WMAs that are bow only, or it might be in an urban situation where it's not a good idea to shoot a, a rifle. Yeah. yeah. But uh, other than that, I mean, when, when when guns when the guns come out, they stay out. And I also don't climb a tree near as much. Well, what's your tactic come gun season? Like, what are you just looking for de- deer sign, feet sign? Or are you hunting hills, like trying to sit on the side of hills where you can see? Uh, how does that play in with rut stuff as well? Well, I was that's what I was going to say is uh, muzzleloader season around here is like peak rut. That's the best time to catch a big one acting stupid. So uh, I'm I'm hunting all my rut spots during muzzleloader, and then I killed my I actually killed my buck for second day of rifle last year. But a lot of times I I kill during muzzleloader if I'm going to kill one during the rut, and then later on into December I'll start exploring some new areas or or bouncing around just doing some doe hunting or whatever. And I I do like I do a lot of my my steeper hill country hunting late gun season where I can slip in. Uh, Again, I prefer windy days because those those hardwood ridges are crunchy. Maybe after uh, a rain as well. After or during a rain, yeah, light okay. rain. I I don't like hunting in the rain, but a light rain's perfect. Um, like a drizzle. But yeah, I like late gun season. I'll get into some of the hills and and do. Uh, I'll still hunt quite a bit, especially if it's a new area that I haven't scouted. And then if I get to a spot where I want to hunt the rest of the afternoon or whatever, I'll sit down. But, um, yeah, early gun season and muzzleloader, like early rifle, first week of rifle and the two weeks of muzzleloader before that, I'm buck hunting. Are you, are you looking for anything particular, like like any like benches or saddles or feed sign or just heavy trails or thickets? Um, Funnels uh, near thickets, downwind side of thickets, um, funnels between thickets, anything like anywhere you could either catch a buck, scent checking a bedding area, or just catch them chasing through. Um, and honestly, a lot I, I hunt a lot flatter terrain for deer than I do for turkey. So a lot of these spots are not like steep ridges or anything. I'll do uh, a lot of my steeper ridge hunting like i said later in the season when i start exploring out some more but uh it's mainly a little bit of terrain funnel mainly uh like habitat type funnel like vegetation different types of you know woods whatever um or just hunting the offside of a big bedding thicket where i know the deer are at gotcha what type of thickets are you finding like in, in your area, wh- how would you describe those? Like for us, or like cutovers and pines? We got a little bit of that. Uh, we got a little bit of that depending on where you're at. We got some swamps, uh, and then especially southern Tennessee, you see a lot of uh, pine plantations and cutovers. Um, there's certain areas I see a lot of that, but uh, mainly the thickets will be like if you're near the water, it's going to be privet or honeysuckle uh like invasive shrubs and stuff or you may have a big patch of river cane or just uh young woods maybe uh, like a lot of our uh, public lands have old home places on them and uh those you know used to be somebody's yard and it probably has privet and other stuff in it a lot of times you'll see ivy growing up the trees but uh old home places tend to be pretty thick um just random vegetation. You'll get um, 
And some of the creek bombs, you get a lot of spice bush thickets, and I really don't like hunting in them because it's just a pain to walk through them. Uh, same with privet. But deer love it, uh, especially the privet. As, in, as invasive as it is, they'll get in there, bed in it, and they'll eat it. And, uh, and then we got cedar thickets, cedar glades. We got a lot of limestone uh, cedar glades where it's just like you're not getting up in a tree because you'll be in the branches, you know. Cedars are dense. You like even standing up, you can't see. Mm. 10, 10 yards and you sit down and you can see 40 yards yeah. and that's what i got in my backyard and we get that on all like all over all over middle tennessee you see those cedar thickets anywhere there's a lot of limestone um you get those cedar thickets and they really don't have any food for the deer they're just uh shelter they're and when it's hot out they're a lot cooler because they're heavily shaded and there's no crunchy leaves so they can the deer can slide through a cedar thicket like a ghost you find them there in really uh, rainy days or like stormy days, like in them cedars, like hunkering down. Uh, I haven't really noticed uh, a difference. I when it's real heavy rain, I usually stay out of the woods because I got a, a camera and everything. <laughs> um, that and um, now I just like all the time. If there's a cedar thicket, they're going to use it, and it's not going to be for a food source, but it's they're going to bed in it. And they're going to use it to travel quietly and undercover. Yeah, I, I, I guess see the, only I, reason, the only reason I ask that is it reminds me of the pines down home. When you stand up, you can't see, but you get down on your knees or yeah. squat down, you can see through them. Yeah, it's I like find, a lot like pines, yeah. I find deer like to be in those when the big fronts are coming through or storms, they start gravitating to them because you can get in there right after that storm and they're all coming out of them. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess that is true. I I haven't really noticed the difference or really paid attention to be honest. But uh, I have noticed they they tend to if they're around a cedar thicket, they're going to be in there a lot, regardless. But yeah, but I like to hunt like a like my backyard, for example, big cedar thicket on the far side of the property, and uh, and then a hayfield, and um, you know, though I won't hunt in those cedars, I'll wait for them to come out into the field. And I do, there's one spot where it opens up where there's some big red oaks and ash and a couple spots actually where the th cedar thicket opens up into some hardwoods. And that's where I got my tree stands, but you're still talking about a 20 yard shot tops because it's just a lot of undergrowth. I didn't know privet was invasive. I'm over here Googling it. I feel like such an idiot. I thought privet was just Chinese native to privet. The, yeah. You gotta, you gotta love it. You gotta hate it. It's uh, it's bad invasive around here, but the deer love it. I don't know that I've ever seen it down here. I don't know how far south it goes. It's everywhere here, and in certain areas we'll have the the bush honeysuckle, which is also invasive. And um, actually, my backyard's got a lot more bush honeysuckle than privet. And I don't know what the difference is. I think the privet definitely favors the creek bottoms and creek banks in the low areas the bush honeysuckle you'll see it more up on slopes or rockier areas but they're both highly invasive yeah and evidently florida has a bunch of it um i'm florida. i got a, you don't you don't see it or just haven't noticed it well i mean it might be by that i just haven't noticed it um it's it can, if you got a lot of it you probably wouldn't if, unless you're looking for it you, you're just so used to seeing it yeah that's kind of how it is here 
but uh deer deer absolutely love it um i got a it's a kind of side sidetrack here but privet is uh you can't buy it from a landscape store anymore it's illegal really but that's how that's how it got spread here because it's a it's a hedge a lot of people call it hedge and um i got a buddy that works at a landscape place he said he'll have people come in occasionally and be like, like asking for a privet because they want to plant a hedge. And he says, no, we're not allowed to sell that anymore, but you can go out back by the river and dig you one up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, man. Yeah. Uh, Brett, I wonder, I wonder if that, this isn't that bush we saw out there on peninsula, that peninsula area. You remember where you remember you and I walked out there mm-hmm. and we saw all that browse on a, on a bushy shrub. Mm-hmm. It gets dark blue, little small dark blue berries in the fall. Birds like it. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about because they grow all over in Alabama on the sides of the roads and stuff. Oh, yeah. Tree lines are on the edge. And you had to like peel through that just to get into the woods and places. If you ever have to, uh, if you ever have to cut shooting lanes in the privet just to get a shot do it right when you hunt because i've had deer multiple times come in and eat on that fresh cut stuff it'll put them right in your shooting lane they'll stop and sniff around and start chewing on that branch that they couldn't reach before that's and, a good uh, tip yeah I've, I've killed a couple does that way just don't do it on public yeah you're not you're not <laughs> supposed to cut on public this was on private but yeah this is all this is all private uh private uh advice don't don't <laughs> don't get yeah. caught cutting Cutting shooting lanes. The old Jabo, he was giving everybody the what's for about it in the polo group the other day about you know yeah. hedge trimmers and everything else that people were taking in their packs. And I think it depends on on the area because I've heard of of certain area managers that will be like, yeah, you can you can just cut small things, but don't cut any trees down. And then some people will probably just write you a ticket for for like you know, the smallest thing. I don't know. You it's um. It depends on the, the public you're hunting. It, it, a lot of times I call to the the person who's over that area would be yeah. the best way to go about it. Because some people will let you cut, like just snip a little here and there so you can shoot. It just depends. Yeah, I actually have it in writing somewhere from FWC where I reached out to them. I'm like, hey, this doesn't make sense. The rules say that I can't do anything. Like I can't touch any like live species. I have to leave it leave it like it is. I was like, what am I supposed to do when I climb a tree? Am I supposed to like with my climber? Can I not like knock off the branches as I climb? Like, no, 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 no. The rules really have, it's not about like what we don't want you to do is cutting down trees. If you're climbing the tree and you need to snip a branch to where you have a shooting lane, no one really cares about that. The intent here is that people aren't, aren't cutting shooting lanes. And I'm like, cool. I'm really glad I have that on email, (laughs) you know, because I'm not out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that that's how it goes. I, I think that's how a lot of them will see it. Um, uh, I have seen people cut bad shooting lanes where they were cutting whole trees down and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this dude did it a couple of years ago. I'm in a gap. There's a little ford where you got to walk through this creek where the tractor path goes from one cornfield to another cornfield. And I, this the corn was still standing, and there was a chinkin pin oak dropping heavy. The earliest I've seen one drop. Uh, right in this gap between cornfields and I there's a tree tucked up behind a big wall of privet and it's just in a little like you can get up in the saddle behind the tree and you're just in a pocket in the shadows like perfect setup well 
I come back a few days later and the corn is fresh cut and I'm going to hunt that gap because I saw a couple does in the corn, but they were staying in the corn. So they cut it and I go back out there and uh, I get to that gap and I look up and all the privets cut away. The whole trees is the whole tree trunk is exposed and there's a guy 12 feet up it in a summit climber just hanging out like a sore thumb in the, in the wide open. And, uh, and his truck wasn't there cause his buddy dropped him off. So I didn't know he was there. I didn't know anybody was hunting there. I just walked up on him. I looked up and he's just hanging out there. All the privet that was all the cover I had for that tree was, he just cut the whole thing out, just ruined it. <laughs> so I was like, Hey, uh, is it, do you mind if I go to the back of the field? He's like, sure, go for it. So I go back there and proceeded to walk up on a group of deer and get busted. And <laughs> the deer were already out in the field. <laughs> But yeah, I've seen them. I've seen people do stupid stuff, cutting cutting whole trees down, cutting giant shooting lanes. Yeah, and um, I mean that's the kind of thing you'd get a ticket for. Yeah, you, you know this is taking us way back. But you talked about shade, and I think that that is a huge component to this. If you're a turkey hunter, you know all about the importance of shade, right? Like you, we we talk about it because movement is hyper focused, and when it comes to turkey hunting. Um, but if you've ever, oh, been yeah. in a, you know, if you've ever been in one of those situations where you can put the sun to your back, man, you feel like you're just invincible. You put the sun to your back and you can be tucked up underneath a little tree or a branch or something, man, I swear you could do a jig under that thing and most things wouldn't see you. Oh yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've had a couple spots like that, especially field edges. That's the best place to take advantage of the sun and the shade is get up in a hedgerow. And while are you at a little hole in there where you got maybe one or two openings to shoot through, but you're just in the deep shade and, uh, like you could wave at a deer and it wouldn't see you. I mean, like a lot of my scouting is done from the hedges in the shadows, watching fields, like in the summer when I'm just watching bean fields, I'm just staying in the shadows and I can walk around and hold my camera up, move around, get my camera situated and, and, uh, I mean, a lot of times the deer don't even have a clue on there. Now, as soon as I come out of that hedgerow into the edge of the field where I get some light on my face, that's when they start mm-hmm. picking up their heads and looking at me. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something before we hit the record on podcast. You've been out scouting and you have a couple places picked out from the ground. And I kind of wanted you to talk about that, kind of break that down because it uh, piques my interest because it's early season. And you're trying to hunt from the ground, and I just really want to hear about that. Well, that's kind of those spots I was talking about. It's kind of like what I was just saying. They're just little pockets on the edge of a field, and the one that I, um, the one that I went and uh, scouted yesterday, uh, I just had to make sure I had a couple spots to sit. It was on a funnel. It's on the corner of a field where they funnel through, and there's a creek crossing, so they're always coming through this this gap, this corner of this field. And, um, so I, you know, the deer are going to be out in the open, in the wide open. And, um, I'm going to be just kind of tucked back, not on the edge of the field. I'm, I'm, I'll be tucked back about four or five yards into the woods up in the shrubs in the river cane or whatever's growing there. So I'm, you know, like the deer are going to be coming by, you know, 10 yards from the edge of the, the shrub line, but I'm going to be another five yards back in. So if, if that would be like a 15 yard shot. So 
you got to factor in the extra distance, but I like to tuck back in there if I got to wherever the shady, wherever the best cover is a good, a good broad tree, preferably and uh, stay in the shadows. And you can get yeah. away with a lot. You added a line of sight right there and had a kind of the peripheral being that far back in there. So as long as you're not well, doing backflips by air, you should be. And that's good. another uh, another thing I just thought of that's important with that kind of setup. You want to make sure the the shrubs or the you know whatever's growing on the edge of the field. You want to make sure the vegetation's not so thick you can't see a deer coming. Because if you got one shooting lane in front of you and it's a perfect chip shot, but I like to be able to at least look through the bushes and see a deer coming down the trail, and then uh, so I can get my bow ready. And when they step when they step into that opening, I can just pop them. So it depends on the, you know, that, that spot I was uh, uh, checking on yesterday is just set up perfect, but some spots are, are a lot harder to find a good setup. Are you not Especially worried about your in, ground scent there in that situation? Um, yeah, well, it depends. Uh, in that spot, not so much because um, it's like multiple use public land. There's, you know, deer kind of used to smelling that people have been there. Gotcha. But um, not that that not that you're completely covered. I mean, they you still get busted that way. But uh, if they come through that, if they come into the corner of that field, I should get a shot before they get a chance to bugger about ground scent. And I can actually the way I can approach that spot is from the field, so they might not even get to my ground scent before I get a shot. And so are you expecting a deer? You. Is that the one where the gap is? You're expecting them to come from a certain direction or a certain side yeah. of the field? Yeah, they come out in this corner from a creek and you, crossing. And you come in from the opposite side. So yeah. Shooting them before they could get, yeah. get past you and get to your ground scent. Exactly. And it's, I'd say open hardwoods is probably the worst for bow hunting on the ground that's where you just got to be still still because you're not going to get a lot of that undergrowth and cover and shade you're just gonna have to pick a bit i'd say pick the biggest tree trunk you can find if you're going to be bow hunting in open big woods get the biggest tree trunk you can find to break your silhouette and sit still i would feel like you really need to have the deer dialed in to do that in mm-hmm. the big woods setting a lot of or have like Perfect. Well, when he has maybe, the right maybe a down situation. Tree. Oh yeah, blowdowns. A blowdowns great cover. That's a, that's a good point. Um, when I rifle hunt in the big woods, I've had stuff happen that makes me think I should probably try bow hunting more in in open woods like that, just to see what I can get away with. Because, like, I've been rifle hunting and had deer at ten yards. I don't know how many times in wide open woods, and a lot of times I'm standing and not even sitting down. Um, but with a rifle, you know, a lot of times they're facing at you. Like they're iffy shot angles for a bow. With a rifle, you just put it on them and, and shoot. So I guess there's that factor. But there's been situations where I could have easily killed, and and there's been situations where I have killed in wide open hardwoods with a bow, like walking up on those does that were bedded, and they came back and got nosy. Um, I'm trying to think. I thought there was another situation that came to mind, but I can't remember now. But, um, oh, yeah, that buck I grunted in several years back in the rain. I was standing up, and he's uh, 
where I may have sat down because I, I saw him going out to another property and I grunted him and he came in on a string and I mean, I'm sitting there broadside where he's standing broadside. I'm sitting there, sitting there at 20 yards in wide open woods and he's just head bobbing me. And there was a, a tree blocking the vitals that saved him. So are you wanting, are you calling a lot when you're on the ground and moving like rattling, grunting, or are you only grunting maybe when you see a deer and you're trying to. I only grunt when them. I see a deer. Uh, I, I rarely blind grunt. Uh, I mean, I've called in several grunting, but uh, you know, I see them cruising. It's always when they're out, like they look like they're on a mission. They're just walking through the woods, but they're not coming your way. That's when the grunt seems to work for me. And then I'll randomly rattle here and there during the early rut. And I've never rattled anything big. I've rattled in young bucks. I, I mean, I know there's people out there that rattle in giants every year. I don't know how they do it. Um, snort wheeze. If a buck's got a doe with him, I'll snort wheeze. But uh, I, other than that, I don't call much. Usually I got to have eyes on a deer to call to him. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. Gotcha. That I, especially in hardwoods where you don't have that hard edge to put to your back, right? Like, yeah, I do a, I do a lot of calling year round. I just, I don't know. I, I, I just, I can't convince myself that it hurts, hurts me. Um, but I only do it whenever I feel like I can put something to my back to prevent them from getting downwind of me, which I think, yeah, that's a good point. Back, goes back yeah. to what you asked me. Do I hunt a lot of water access? Yeah. For that reason right there, I can put my back There's to water on your back. Mm-hmm. Oh, that That's a, that's a huge plus being able to have water on your back. So they can't get downwind. Or that, and then just the, the quiet approach too on the water is good. Yeah. I've actually had a lot of um, success rattling and grunting, kind of, or mainly rattling, like kind of blind rattling. But I'm actually in like in the thickets, like pine thickets and stuff on the ground. And I'm kind of set up in a way. I, I guess I'll describe it like this without trying to give away too much, like a <laughs> kind of like a kind of like a SMZ behind me, and I'm, I'm you, you're not giving it. anything away. That 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 describes every yeah. fine plantation in the south, <laughs> right? But <laughs> and nobody gonna just, find your spot. Just say I come through an SMZ, and there's a lot of hunter sign in in that spot because that's where the trees are to climb. Yeah, and there's kind of like pines and thinking on both sides and 
just from doing some scouting through the years, but I actually get up out, cross the SMZ and go out in the pines about 50, 60, maybe 70 yards. And I have a like spot that I like to set up where I have five different trails all converging in one spot where they're all crossing through. And I've had a lot of success rattling and I never, I've, not to say a deer hadn't come behind me and busted me and I hadn't didn't know it, but I had a lot of deer just come running. I mean, running in on me. And they none of them's ever come from behind me. They will come from every different direction. And I, feel I, believe, I believe it's because they don't want to swing into them hardwoods where they know people are hunting. So I'm using that as in my back wall where they're not going to come from. That's crazy. But they're That's coming from idea. all the other, but they're coming from all the other directions. And being that you're in their bedding area, it seems more realistic. And you're on the ground, so you can make ground noise and hit trees and you know all that stuff. And is that, that young pines? Is that like where you can't climb a tree? Is that young pines? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, sounds it, like it's enough. You, it's enough. You can sit down and see. And comfortably, you know, if you stand up, you got to weave through some limbs and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how old they are, but, you know, it's thick. You can't, I mean, if you get elevated at all, you can't see anything. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good spot. They, they're safe in those pines. And I think what you, what you said about them, they won't swing into that SMZ because they, they know that's where the people are. That's a great, I've never actually tried to use hunting pressure as a backdrop. Uh, for the wind, but that's a great idea. Some cold, yeah, that's um, some cold blooded stuff right there, man. That, that's, <laughs> you know, I've used that and had a lot of luck doing it. And, you know, a few years ago, I used to think calling didn't work. Uh, bow hunting from the ground was probably near about impossible. And <laughs> I just listened to something that somebody else said and, you know, talk about taking two things in the off season that you feel like you're weak in or struggle in and make that a priority through the off season and next deer season. And that was the two I picked out in the last two years. I've really, I've really leaned into it and found more success now than I ever have from, from doing that. That's pretty cool. I like that tactic using the, using the SMZ instead of, since you don't have water, is yeah, it something it. where they're not still, I yeah. mean, I've heard of deer swinging wide of trail cameras, um, like that, like where they won't go in front of it because it'll flash the infrared. I haven't seen uh -huh. it in person. I read now this may be made up, but I, I kind of believe it. I read it somewhere online. Somebody was saying they were, um, tracking a wounded buck at night and they were, or I don't, he might not have been at night. I don't remember, but he jumped up. He was still alive and he, he's going down this path on the edge of the woods. And, uh, all of a sudden he just cuts into the woods and then cuts back out. He went cut in the woods where there was a trail camera on a tree to go behind it. And that's, I don't know if that's true. I just read that like something and I've, and I've heard, I've heard from a lot of people that deer will, a certain deer will avoid that infrared. Yeah. And like yeah, de deliberately go around it and won't walk in front of it. Now, I, like I said, I haven't seen it in person, but um, I mean, I've heard it from enough 
incredible people. I've, most of my cameras are black flash now. And it's, <laughs> it only takes that one deer. It's like That's most right. deer don't care. Like I've had deer sit there and just stare at it and have like 10 pictures of them staring at it. But, you know, certain deer are really weird about stuff like that. Yeah. I really believe that like your mature deer in general, uh, like especially bucks, they have their own personality just like we do. Some oh, don't yeah. care and some some are just wigged out. Like I really think that you have a few different types of mature bucks. You have some that want to keep tabs on you, which are in your overlooked spots hanging out by the parking lot. And then you have those bucks who will put up with no human scent. And they're the ones that are deep in the woods where nobody's at. I mean, I, I really, I really think that cause I see it all the time year after year. It seems that, like. Yeah, that's true. I, that reminds me of a story I read from, uh, I think from the NDA website, you know, they do a lot of GPS collar studies and they had this <laughs> buck, they had this little, little tiny scrub rack buck, but he was five and a half. We call those, old. we call those water bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this yeah, an old old. But he's five, so never mind. Never mind. No, that no, he wasn't that little. <laughs> I didn't see the horns on that one. <laughs> he just thought it was a white dot on the wall. It was like the one up here on my wall. Yeah. Yeah. Um but no, he was like a just a basket rack, but an older deer. And um he lived in a swamp, like it was up north somewhere where they got the big cattail swamps. And uh, he never came out of there during, actually, he never came out of the swamp, but he would show up in one certain corner of like a, I don't remember, CRP or something. You could probably look up this story on their website, but he, the guy killed him and uh, turned in the radio caller and they were like, uh, where'd you kill him at? And he was like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to say, you know, and they were like, well, did you kill him on the corner of this CRP right here? And he's like, how did you know that? And they're like, because that's the only place that buck ever would have been during the daytime. He he yeah. was super reclusive, and he wasn't even a big big rack deer. Just did not like to be around people. Yep, his personality. And, yep. I'd never have killed that deer if it doesn't get up, and move during daylight, and be stupid. I don't stand a chance, man. <laughs> we all <laughs> count on that sometimes. I, a lot of my, I don't kill a lot of bucks early season. The ones I have killed were younger bucks. Nicer rack, younger bucks. Um, I, I I rely quite a bit on the rut for those bigger ones to act a little dumber. Same. And then in the meantime, <laughs> for the rest of the season, I'm just whacking does. Whacking yeah. does, watching trail cameras, and trying to keep trying to keep an eye on where maybe a buck, a good buck might be. But uh, I don't start like. I don't start passing on all the does until about November. And even then when, if I'm scouting and a doe walks up on me, I might blast her. It just depends on the day mm -hmm. I, I did kill <laughs> last year. So I normally kill my, my good bucks uh, during mother loader last year. I didn't see my, I only had one buck I really wanted to kill and uh, I didn't see him until rifle, but I did kill two does during muzzle loader when I said I wasn't going to, cause it was a, uh, one of them, uh, I was, there were good bucks in the area that I had seen from the road, but they were on someone else's property and there's this little bit of public that backs up to it. And, uh, so I was going for them, but this doe and fawn were always in there. And so I get there and I sneak in real quiet. Sure enough, there they are eating under the red oaks. 
And so I just sit down and watch them. I don't want to blow them out of there just yet because I know there might be a good buck in there. So I'm sitting down watching them, and these they come right up to me, and she the wind swirls, and she picks her head up and starts stomping and blowing. So I, you know, I had to give it to her there and, and end that pretty quick. And then there was another one where I was on the boat, and uh, I pull up in a holler. I'm like, I'm gonna sit here for ten minutes, and if if uh, just to see if anything shows up, and then I'm gonna go hunt this field, you know, down the river. So I sit there for like three minutes, and a doe comes off the hill and blasted her. Like, well, and I loaded her up and went and hunted the field. <laughs> but normally, no. I try to if it if it's like a a real quick sit- situation there, uh, like the first one, the one that was blowing at me, like I'm expecting the buck. Or hoping for, I wasn't expecting, I was hoping for one of those bucks to slip through there chasing a doe. But if I got this doe standing at 20 yards blowing and blowing, I'm screwed. I'm just going to shoot. My hunt's already kind of messed up at that point. Yeah, you blow, you go. Yeah, that's my <laughs> policy. I don't I don't put up with that. Um, I've had, uh, I had one blow at me. It was peak rut, like November 13th. And it was the best day for rut activity last year. I had chasing for daylight till dark, mostly younger bucks, couple tempting bucks, uh, but they they weren't the one I was looking for. But uh, I had this one doe at one point that that caught me moving or something, and she stood there and stomped and blew, and it had it everything in me not to shoot that deer. But I thought my shooter was going to show up, so I didn't. I, she got very lucky that day, <laughs> and my shooter did not show up. But I uh, actually, I killed him there, um, like a week later. So, and yeah, normally I don't, if, if a doe's going to stand there and stop and, and make a scene, she's, she ain't going to make it out alive if, if I can help it. You're just, you're just convincing me to never pass a deer right there. Cause there's no point, man. You just, it just ends in heartbreak is what I'm hearing Catman say. Oh no. Well, well, what's your, what's your deer population? Like how many does are you allowed to kill? 10 in Georgia and two in florida only two in florida but that's the dumbest rule ever because there's freaking does everywhere here man i I bet there are we can kill three a day and we've got does everywhere dude you could kill two bucks a day every day of the of the deer season in florida for like 30 years you want to talk about an out of whack buck to doe ratio come to florida it is ridiculous too too many bucks for too many does does too many does. You could, yeah. You could shoot two bucks a day for thirty years. Yeah, unlimited and, and, amount and, of bucks, basically. No point restrictions until like. Wait, five that's or the six actual. That's the actual limit. It was until four or five years ago. Yeah. You say they so their their buck limit was like our doe limit, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah, it, and, it's no, and no antler restrictions. So you you just have people out there just waylaying anything that walked. Jeez, two bucks a day, and I'm not, and I'm not a big buck hunter. But I can tell you right now, that's not good for your population because what it does is no. it spreads your fawn drop out so so heavily that your predation goes up, your recruitment goes down, and so you just perpetuate what you already have there. I mean, we've got to get we've got to get a control of our doe population. I've got a couple spots I can go, and I have routinely counted twenty to thirty does. Can't shoot them. Oh yeah, you need to. They need to do something about that. I got spots where I well I'll see twenty to thirty does, and uh, if I kill a couple, I'll kill two in one sitting, and uh, well, that's not a drop in the bucket. Some of these places, um, my backyard's got a 
healthy population. It's not overrun like that, but a lot of places are. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't kill first year. I lived here. I, I killed like five deer, but I wouldn't do that again. Cause it doesn't need it. Like one, one, maybe two does off this place in a season is plenty, but then there's places where I could kill five does in the same spot and it wouldn't make a difference. Yeah, I bet you. I bet you that one spot. I'm not going to name drop it, but I bet you, and it's not the one that Brett's even thinking about. Uh, that one's crazy too. But the one, the one I've got elsewhere in Florida, <laughs> I almost named <laughs> it right there. Uh, elsewhere, I bet you I could go in there and shoot my two deer tags. I could take you and Brett, and I could take Ron. Well, Ron would just look at him. He wouldn't actually shoot him, but we could take <laughs> we could take Pat and like three dog hunters and we could all fill our tags every year. And I don't think we'd put a dent in that population there. I mean, it's just, it's impossible. And, and they're in areas where bow hunting is a pain in the butt anyways. Can you gun home? No, it's only during archery season. Mm -hmm. So you can only, you can only kill does during archery season and you're only allowed two of them. Wow. Yeah. That makes no sense. It's not doing anything. No. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, It is possible to take too many does if you're not, I mean, if you're being foolish, but, uh, we got three a day in a pretty large portion of Tennessee where we got several different units, um, and, uh, unit L's where, you know, most of middle Tennessee and West Tennessee, except for the CWD zone is mm-hmm. unit L and as CWD zone is just as liberal as unit L, um, I mean, even three a day for the whole season, that adds up to 300-something deer a person as a bag limit. The People are people don't want to fool, fool a dragging a doe out most of the time. I don't care. I'll do it. But, uh, like, nobody's going to kill their three a day. And if they do, it's like once in a while. So you, you still got areas that, that get overpopulated. Because, I mean, just because you can kill three a day doesn't mean people are going to actually do it. That's right. Yeah. Like uh, the depredation tags up in Indiana with Jim Riser. He, uh, farmers got like 5,000 acres. He had 36 permits this year and, uh, leases some of his farms to Jim and, uh, and leases some to a couple other guys. So there's people actively hunting these farms, but they just want to kill a buck. And the farmer's like, Hey, uh, part of the deal when you, when I lease it to you to hunt is you got to kill some deer, like kill so many deer for me. And they're not doing it. So Jim is the only one, Jim, and I'll come up and hunt with him for a weekend and we'll go and just start shooting deer because the farmer asked for it because the hunters weren't, you know, they, they made a deal with, you know, the farmer made a deal with them like, Hey, you need to kill so many deer. And they still weren't because they just were buck hunting. And that's a gun hunt. You said, <laughs> uh, Why are you itching over there? there? <laughs> that's my trigger finger you know i'm just you know just you know. <laughs> there's a yeah we were hunting with rifles um i don't know does florida do anything like that hell no i mean they do but not like in not, not like most midwest states it's it's you don't have a lot of like uh, uh ag fields down there I mean, in certain parts of the state, but not really. Generally speaking, uh, sugar is kind of one of our bigger exporters. I think, isn't there a place down by Split Shot where they grow like a bunch of corn or something like that or hay or something? Brett, there's something, somebody down there where they're like, they, we produce like some unbelievable amount of fill in the blank and I can't remember what it is, but 
as a whole, no. Florida doesn't have like good soil. It's all sandy, acidic soil by and large. Is a sugar cane yeah. is your big yeah. is your big crop? Is yeah. deer, do deer even eat that? I don't think so. You can find a, a okay amount of ag land kind of along North Florida, kind of on the border of Alabama, maybe Georgia. Maybe edit it, this it, it's, podcast. It's not much land. <laughs> yeah, our tr- our number one production is. Can you believe it? Oranges. Um, outside of that, no, tomatoes, Florida, no way. Yeah, <laughs> cattle, uh, alligators. Yeah, yeah. We produce more trees than we do do oranges. If you can believe that. Do you all have? Uh, do y'all have flamingos, or you too far mm-hmm. north? You do. Oh, like, do I have them? I thought you meant the state of Florida. Well, I mean, like where you're at in Florida. No, no. no. They, I'm in they, South um, Florida. Okay, I couldn't remember if you were Florida or South Georgia. It's a joke. Um, where I live isn't really Florida. Like it's just kind of like South Georgia. It's same same thing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, palmettos and sand, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. alligators. Yeah. Well, uh, I was reason I asked about flamingos. I saw online just the other day that uh, there were people were seeing a few flamingos up here in Middle Tennessee. Like they got like a storm pushed them off course or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which that's weird. I've never seen one up here, but apparently some uh, people the were hurricane. seeing them. That hurricane, hurricane Lee. yeah, hurricane. No, Adelia, Adelia was what pushed them up there. Um, yeah, they we had them up here briefly too. They got scattered everywhere. That storm just kind of went up really? that west coast and just pushed them. Yeah, yeah. Hurricanes can do some funny things when it comes to animals, man. There's a there's an island west of me that has sandbar deer, basically tiny d- tiny elk. And um, when Hurricane Michael, what are those? Came, huh? What are those? Sandbar. Sand- sandbar deer. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's like a tiny little elk. It's like three, four hundred pound elk. Um, huh. but they love swamps, and they're from Southeast Asia. Uh, oh, okay. And there's a little limited quota hunt you can put in for, and um, it'd be a fun hunt for you. Actually, I think you'd actually get a kick out of that, dude. Um, Sounds but interesting. Cat five hurricane comes through. There. Yeah, he's gonna need a big boat for that for sure. Uh, that bay is crazy. But the cat five hurricane flooded the island pushed them on the mainland so people shoot sandbar deer in the backyard dude oh <laughs> yeah yeah there's no season on them if it shows up in your yard you can just shoot it whenever yep yeah, they're exotic yep not native you can shoot you can go down to miami with a blow dart gun to shoot iguanas in downtown oh yeah i know you can shoot iguanas all over mm-hmm. the place uh, well they're invasive right oh yeah everything in florida at this point is evasive yeah, the pythons, iguanas, people. chameleons, people. <laughs> like a jungle. Yeah, people are invasive here, too. <laughs> yeah, jo- Joey Bell is always giving us hell. Uh, they're going to be pissed you talk so much about Tennessee because they're always trying to get people to quit coming to Tennessee, and there you are talking about. Uh, oh, I say, come on and give it a try. Uh, uh, you, well, I see a lot of people complain, oh, there's people everywhere. This, this is terrible. Like, all right, go on. You tried it. Go back home and don't come back. Let, let me let me hunt my spots. <laughs> hey, I started this thing by saying that it was heavily pressured, Joey. I did I did my part. Um. <laughs> well, it is. You gotta you gotta be willing to move with the crowd. If you're not like, if you don't like seeing other hunters, you're not going to enjoy it. That's right. There's no point in even going. Is what he's saying. Well, dude, listen. I appreciate the heck out of you. Uh, I'm looking forward to deer content, man. Dude, this is this time of year I start consuming the hell out of stuff. Where can people find? All the hunts you're going to have this year. 
Oh, they'll be on my main channel, Catman Outdoors, on YouTube. There it is. Yeah, I he- do have a, I have a side channel. I pro- probably won't post much for deer season on that channel, but I do have a DIY channel as well. Do you for really? Side, like side projects. Yeah, I did my, my bow fishing boat build back in January. I posted on there. And What's then, it called? Um, Catman DIY. It's uh you you can find it on my uh on my main channel. I think I have a link to it. But uh I, yeah. Either way, it's just projects stuff that I work on on the side. I don't post a whole lot on it right now. Yeah. I've got a couple I got a couple ideas in the works that would go there. But um any kind of building anything or you know how to do that how like I still put some how to stuff on the main channel like how to film your deer hunts cuz I feel like that's more relevant to the main channel, but uh, like any kind of side projects, we'll go on the the DIY channel. Hell yeah, dude! Yeah, I would I would recommend anybody. Yeah, Catman has a has an oak identifier, and I reference that all the time. Like probably every oh, year, kind of looking oak at identifier. It. Yeah, with the leaves, gotcha. the bark, yeah, yeah, yeah. acorns. Mm-hmm. I forget the technical name of the page, but I, I refer to that every year and look mm-hmm. at it. I will say for anyone uh, down where y'all are at, like Florida, South Georgia, Southern Alabama, there's going to be some species of oak that I didn't cover that that don't grow up here that you'll have down there. Yeah. Um, so you're not. It's not an all inclusive identification guide, but for most of the eastern United States, it'll have all your most common trees. I think I got like 21 species in there right now. I think so. It'll it'll cover a lot of them. What's the name of that page? It's on my website, catmanoutdoors.com. It's it's just called, uh, you go to, to the tab on top, it says uh, uh, Woodsman's Corner, and there, there'll be, you'll see it, it'll say uh, Oak Tree Identification Guide, I, I think is what it's called. Okay. And I've yeah, got I the was... video, I got the video form on YouTube as well, and it will have a link to the website with the where you can scroll through and click on different trees. Because if, if I'm not mistaken, Walter, when we found them, them oaks where we were like, we wasn't exactly sure what they were. I think we kind of referred back to that as well. We or that's what I was looking at for sure. We, we both pulled it up on our phones. We we found <laughs> we found Schumert oaks. I've never seen them anywhere around here. And I tell people we found Schumert and they can't believe it. We went and pulled Deer, up Deer's here. eating on them right now. Really? The, they the dropped squirrels. a little early. Well, they're not dropping ripe ones yet, but the squirrels or the wind have knocked a few green uh-huh. ones out. And I hung a trail camera, and we found that. I've had, I've had um, just today I hung a camera yesterday, and today I've had a doe and two fawns in there all day with their nose on the ground, sucking them up. Yeah, this is that's exactly what we found last year mm-hmm. when we went in the woods this time of year. Yeah, and yeah. it was uh, first week of October is when I got on them right there. Uh, uh, consistently. Um, by October, they're usually falling good, but you have yeah. some that don't fall till December. So they're good long term, long term food source there. If you're looking to yeah, plant, that's cool. If you're looking to plant oak trees on your property, Schumard oaks, one of the top picks I would choose. Big old acorns too. I mean, them jokes. They'll grow freaking huge. They'll grow up um, on. A, they'll grow up on a rocky ridge, and they'll grow in the swamp, or they won't grow in the water, but they'll grow right next to the water. So that's they're they're very adaptable and they some of them drop real early, some of them drop real late. And if you get a bumper crop, they, the deer won't be able to eat them all. 
I mean, I've had a, I've had years where the turkeys had them in their crop in, in turkey season. On a bumper crop here. <laughs> there was actually a couple of years ago, a buddy of mine killed a, a jake going up to roost on this big hardwood ridge. And I think they were uh, northern red oaks up there. Apparently, there had been a bumper crop the year before because we cut this crop open and it was nothing but whole acorns and clover. Like no stuff full. And, uh, and that was in April. So if there's a good bumper crop of red oaks, it'll, be, it'll feed the critters for a long time. I'm I'm curious. I'm going to watch these because everything I, I saw in your video and read about the Schumert is they have like a trickle crop, a, a steady crop, a heady crop, and then it just kind of wanes back off. And there's that 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 bell curve. And last year, those jokers never really rained acorns. They just they didn't. It was just a, it was a pitter patter. Periodically, you'd hear them uh, going. And you told me because I sent you a message and, and I asked you about Schumer oaks, and you said they'll drop till December. And there's a pretty good patch of them. I'm actually really surprised. Yeah, um, a little pocket. Yeah, like what 15, 20 trees all up and down that little that little hillside uh-huh. right there. And uh, I kept going back, like, hey, let's see if they're there in December. Hey, let's see if they, and they and they they weren't. They had dropped in. I'd say by middle October they were dropped out. So I'm yeah. really curious because if I keep a keep a tabs on that, then in the coming years you could have one of those those food sources because come you know come December here, December January that's our late that's our rut, and you do want to talk about a prime food source. It's it's right there adjacent to bedding too, so you know your bucks can keep tabs on does, but also have a a high quality food source. And I never get a photo of a single human in this area. It's kind of like the trifecta of 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 fun right there and there's water white oaks not far down the ridge too so it's gonna be fun man i like that good mix of white and red oaks Mm -hmm. and i like when the oaks are isolated like that because you get in the big woods in the hill country around here it's like you know solid hardwoods as far as the eye can see and it's 50 Mm -hmm. percent white oaks and like 25 percent red oaks and then you got your hickories and poplars and stuff, but there's yeah. so c- certain areas around here, especially on the Western Highland Rim, which is just west of the Nashville Basin. You get areas that's like white oak dominated. I mean, just millions of them. Like, and there's a buffer crop two years ago, I think. And there were, I mean, there's just leftover acorns. They could, like, the squirrels and deer and everything couldn't put a dent in them. There were so many. <laughs> wow. now that uh, a year like that where your whole ridge is nothing but white oaks and every one of them is loaded to the brim mm-hmm. uh, just for, forget hunting acorns find where they're bedded and try to hunt right on top of them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well dude i appreciate you like i said i really appreciate you taking some time out your day i'd love to hunt with you one day soon tennessee is on our list you know we're trying to focus really hard on the on the core south the deep south but tennessee we came up there and turkey hunted this past year and had an absolute blast and i think we're going to do that again we're going to come up this spring turkey hunt and then try and deer hunt the following fall so i'd love to link up with you at some point but um yeah let me know yeah, we got a little bit of housekeeping though to do here. Uh, we got sidetracked. We dove right into the meat and potatoes of this. So we're going to give some love to some of the brands who make this possible. First and foremost, that is Tethered. Catman is a tethered aficionado, but only during archery season. Otherwise, he's sitting his butt on the ground. Uh, but uh, he, he I do I, rifle hunting out of a little bit. The, yeah, I was, it works <laughs> great for rifle hunting. I just get lazy and sit on the ground or I want to scout. Yeah, I use, my, I use my saddle up in a tree quite a bit too. <laughs> not as much just not as much that's right <laughs> but uh yeah so we want to say thanks to tethered we, we will be giving away one of their carbon fiber predator platforms just as soon as they come out so you guys stay tuned for that that's going to be an awesome giveaway 
uh, going to die knives. We are going to be giving away. Got to wait till next episode. Sorry. I just decided uh, we're, we're not going to talk about two giveaways back to back that. And I haven't quite decided on the color scheme of the knife. So we are going to be giving away a knife in the month of September leading into October to kick off gun season. Uh, it's going to be a sweet package. It's a field package. You're going to absolutely love it. So stay tuned with them. Use the promo code SOCO hunt to get 10% off your order. If you're looking to buy a lifetime knife, a knife that's going to be there for generations. And obviously Bowtech. Bowtech is producing some of the finest bows out there. Their diamond brand is amazing. It is an absolute gem uh, of a value. And so, We want to say thanks to them for partnering with us as well as the Patreon members. Go check out, if you're listening to this right now, go check out the Live from the Fire episode series. It's a live journal series that we're doing. uh, At least one episode a week will go on the main feed. The remaining two to three will go to the private Patreon feed. And you're going to be able to live the moments right there with us. The highs, the lows, the moment that I start squealing with excitement when I finally get to, to shake Catman's hand. That'll all be captured right there in that journal series. So... Uh, I'm going to put a pin in that because that's a lot of advertisement all right there at the uh, the end of the episode. But thank you so much for tuning in this far. Go check out Catman's shirt uh, website, buy a shirt from him, uh, support him because he's put, putting some awesome content out there for you to consume all year long. And until next time, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos, speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.